You may have heard of us, but you might not know Bank First is a community bank that has no fee ATM access, interest and perks earning checking accounts. With online and mobile banking, mortgages for every stage of life, and modern business banking for businesses, small and big. We keep it all together to put you first. Do you bank with us? You should. Bank First is an equal housing lender and a member FDIC. And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau studios in downtown Starkville. Well, Bulldogs taking on Southern Miss later tonight down in Pearl. We're going to talk to the head coach of Southern Miss in just a little bit. And before we do that, I'd like to remind you the Farm Bureau has agents in all 82 counties in the state of Mississippi, so go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com and go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Well, Charlie, last night, hey, I missed you there. We had uh, Matt was alongside. Uh, John Cohen joined us. We had a fast game last night against Grambling, won two to one, a game that took two hours and 15 minutes. And so, and you yeah. didn't hate that at all, did you? Man, let me tell you this. I love a fast ball game. I love a fast-moving game. And I think a lot of that had to do with what we put on the mound. Uh, Jack Walker kind of bounced back, had his first career start. He was good through strikes. Parker Stinnett threw four innings, and Parker kind of had a little hiccup coming straight into the game, gave up back-to-back singles, but settled in well, and, man, really had that uh, curveball slider working last night and throwing it extremely well. I got back home, and I saw where Rob Friedman, the pitching ninja, had a couple highlights of what Parker Stinnett was doing last night. And so, you know, State wins 2-1, to one, and now you get ready for Southern Miss. And so, Charlie, first and foremost, we had a tough time hitting the ball last night. Well, I was going to say, you talked about a fast-moving game. There wasn't a lot of movement. Each team with, what, five hits? I love fast games, but I like fast games where I can see us have 10, 11, 12 hits. Five. Now, let me give you the bright side. I'm going to be the half-full guy right now. Aaron Downs looks pretty good. He had a base hit up the middle, and, I mean, just the same spot he's been working. And then he doubled, and so he's really kind of coming into his own. It was interesting how you saw another freshman at Slate Alford starting the game at second base last night. And so Hunter Hines at first, the true freshman Jack Walker on the mound. This team has some freshmen that you're going to be able to work in there. But, uh, but yeah, this, is a, this, is, this team has some young talent, no doubt. No, you didn't hit it as well, and I will say this. Boudreaux, the left-hander, Ja'Cory Boudreaux for Grambling last night. Charlie, like John Harden out there, man. I'm talking, he's topping out at 82. He's throwing a 63-mile-an-hour curveball, and we were out in front. I mean, we talk so much about timing, and I thought timing was an issue. We're going to talk to Chris Burke next. We're going to talk to Chris Burke with ESPN, the SEC Network, and I want to ask Chris about facing slower pitchers when you're kind of geared up for mid-90s fastball. Look, it obviously has an effect. We've seen a lot of times in regionals, it's the reason that a four seed can be right in a ball game at the end with a, a one seed more times than you would think. But the issue becomes, at what point in the game do you adjust to it? At some point, you know, I hate to take the old uh, youth baseball approach, but sometimes just scoot up in the box if that's what you got to do. But you got to make some kind of adjustment. And Cumbus was the guy that kind of broke it open with a solo home run, and that's, that's the difference whoa, 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 whoa. of the game. When you say broke it open, well, I tend to think about a grand slam. All of a sudden, it's five to one. 
I don't know that two to one is breaking it open, but you're but you're half full Bart. I am half full Bart. I am three quarter half full Bart today. Brad Cumbus homering, and that gives you the two to one margin. But he jumped on it. He kind of waited on it, and then they take him out and, and go with another guy last night. And so here's what we talked about on the broadcast last night is about pressing, about when you begin to press. John called it paralyzing the hands. I think I said heavy hands in the Sunday coffee this past week. No matter how you say it, when you start pressing in this game, the more you press, the, the worse off you are. And I, I wonder, you know, when you got to the third inning last night and you rolled over some ground balls, hey, you just want to kind of want to know what's that do to you mentally. And it looked like we are kind of fighting ourselves in the middle innings last night. So here's the, the things that jump out at me. In the ball game last night, one for eight leading off an inning. That's not great getting the leadoff man on once. We say all the time. And the one was Cumbus's home run. Yeah, so. <laughs> That's it. And he didn't hang out on the bases, right? No. Uh-uh. So, and then the other thing we always talk about, the key to baseballs getting a hit with two outs. We were one for nine. So, look, you got to chalk it up. Wasn't a great day, but it's a win. And at the end of the day, whether you win by ten or win by one, it's still a win. Now, here's what you got coming up. You got a test. We're going to be sitting here, not necessarily this Sunday coffee, but the next Sunday coffee. We're going to know everything there is to know about this team, at least in the early going. True or false? Absolutely true. I think we're going to know a little bit about this team when we get together tomorrow, Thursday, Tracks Plus Deep Dig. Because let me tell you, Southern Miss tonight, pretty good. Tanner Hall tonight, pretty good. And that Tracks Plus Deep Dig brought to you by our friends at Tracks Plus. Four locations, three in Mississippi. Of course, Startwell. Hickory, Summit, Mississippi, and then down in Alexandria, Louisiana, Trax Plus, Barco, Saney, Massey, Ferguson. If you're an equipment guy, they are your people at Trax Plus. Ken Crosby in Hickory, Grace Howell in Summit, Hoop Weems down in Alexandria, Louisiana, and, of course, our good friends Daniel Bounds and Fred Fulton over in Columbus. So Trax Plus, great customer service to go along with all that great equipment. All right, when we come back, we'll talk to the head coach of the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. Scott Berry will join us on the other side of the break. We'll talk about the game later tonight as Mississippi State and Southern Miss at Trustmark Park in Pearl. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Time now for a conversation with the head coach at Southern Miss, Coach Scott Berry. And this conversation brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing produced right here in the state of Mississippi, down in Florence on Highway 49. The original, the jalapeno cheddar, we talk about it every week. You know them by now. The blueberry maple, the black pepper cheddar, the three cheese, the jalapeno and pineapple, the pineapple pork. You can't go wrong. You can find it at Country Meat Packers. They have a great butcher shop right there. They're expanding the butcher shop on Highway 49. But you can find that great country pleasing throughout the southeast and now up in the Midwest, anywhere you look for it. And once again, country pleasing, one of the sponsors of this event tonight down in Pearl. And so let's talk to the head coach of the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. Coach Scott Berry joins us. Hey, Coach, let me tell you this. I was looking at the game notes for this game tonight, and I didn't realize, my goodness, 
I mean, you're 18 games away from passing Corky Palmer, 28 games away from being the all-time winningest coach at Southern Miss. Man, I tell you what, when I start thinking of what you guys have done with Corky and, and what you guys have done, it's just a steady program. It seems like it's 40 wins a year. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. We're, uh, you know, we're in our young season right now, still trying to figure out who we are. You know, I think when the season started, we, we thought we knew who we are, but, you know, things, uh, games will tell you a little bit different. So we're just trying to work through it and, and get better each time we play. All right, so you're seven games in. you got a couple of series wins. Kind of what's your early thought on your ball club and kind of how's your lineup shaken out as to what you thought it would be? Well, you know, I think uh, we've got we've got really good depth on the pitching side. Now, of that depth, a lot of guys aren't proven yet, uh, in, in all honesty. But, you know, through our fall practice and our pre-spring practice, they've thrown really, really well for us. But so, so we really kind of feel good about our pitching staff. Position player-wise, we return a lot of guys from last year who were young guys who got a lot of experience. We struggled early. You know, if you remember last year at, at, at Trustmark, I mean, boy, uh, Mississippi State hung 20 strikeouts on us that night. And, uh, you know, we were four and five at that point. And then at, from that point on, we ended up being 36 and 16. And so we really kind of turned it around. That was kind of a wake-up call for us. And what I'm really hoping is these guys that we return, they take the experiences from last year, which was a lot of failure there early, a lot of disappointment. But then there at the end, we really, we were able to get some momentum and, and really have a lot of success there. I took Ole Miss to the championship of that, of that regional there in Oxford. And really just really hoping that it rolls into this 2022 season. Talking to Coach Scott Berry. Coach, uh, I guess you're going to go with Tanner Hall later tonight and last week in the midweek. You guys had as, as bad of a situation as it gets as far as a midweek. You never want to go to extra innings in a midweek. You end up going 13 innings and have a four-and-a-half-hour ball game. But, hey, Tanner Hall, tell us what to expect to see tonight out of Tanner. Well, Tanner's a really competitive young man. He's a, he's a sophomore. Really had some starts for us last year. The the big game was against Ole Miss on that Sunday in that regional, and, and he really was able to pitch well against them. And we have a lot of confidence in him. Last week against South Alabama in the 13-inning game that we lost, well, we just beat ourselves of, of, uh, of the six runs that they scored. Three of those were unearned. We had five errors that night. And still had opportunities to win that baseball game. And Tanner really on the front end of it gave us every every opportunity to win it. We played terrible defense behind him, but you know, he's a ground ball pitcher. I mean, he's a sinker guy, sinker slider guy that is really competitive from South Louisiana. He's and I really feel like he's a he's ahead of his age. He's just a sophomore, but you know, he has the presence of, of a junior senior type pitcher. You know, I look at your schedule coming up this weekend into the midweek next week and then next weekend. I mean, you guys have got a really tough schedule coming up. You've got Louisiana this weekend. you got South Alabama and Tulane in the midweek. I've always wondered as a coach, when you look at one of these in-state games, how tempted are you to pitch it differently kind of in a midweek than you might otherwise do? And then how do you weigh that versus what you got coming up on the weekend? 
Well, I'm a, I've always been a believer in you play the game that you're playing at that time. I mean, that's the one that you're focusing on when I mean, there's no guarantee that Friday night at Lafayette that they don't have a power surge and the lights go out and now you got a doubleheader on Saturday. You can't control what's in front of you. All you can do is control the, the present. And so, you know, we'll do everything we can to, to win. Uh, I assume that state will do the same thing. And then we'll tackle the next game, which will be Friday in Lafayette. But you alluded to the schedule that, that we have in front of us, and, and it's a bear. I mean, it's going to be a real challenge for us and and uh, trying to navigate through these next 13 games. And, you know, you, you stopped at, at Tulane in South Alabama next week, but then the following weekend, we, uh, we go to Dallas Baptist, who's really, really good, a perennial power, a top-20 team. And then we back home, we're back home against Alabama midweek, and then we open conference at home against FAU, who's playing pretty well, too. So our next 13 games is, is a, lot of, a lot of good competition, and it's going to really tell us where we are as a ball club. The thing about this game later tonight is you're going to have a good crowd, and it always seems like this is just a, a good affair. What's, what's your thoughts of playing these neutral site games? It seems like Pearl does a pretty good job of putting this together. Well, they do. You know, and I think that both fan bases have a strong presence in that area, that Jackson area. And it's not far even the suburbs for people to come and watch good baseball. And I think that's what they appreciate. You know, two programs that produce good baseball and, and produce people that go on to the next level. And, and you know, those are things and memories that people that remember for a long time. And I love I love the the pearl uh, the game against state I love it against Ole Miss because it just it gives those fans an opportunity that might not be able to come to Hattiesburg or go to Starkville or go to Oxford to see their team play and and they have the opportunity to do that in a really nice venue a Double A park there where the the Atlanta Braves play their Double A. Yeah, Bart and I like talking all the time about junior college baseball and watching guys who come up through Mississippi junior colleges. And it seems like more than ever now making an impact in on four-year schools coming out of junior college. I know you're you're an old junior college baseball guy. It's It's got to kind of warm your heart a little bit to see just how good Mississippi junior college baseball is right now. Well, I'll tell you, I am so proud of the baseball in the state of Mississippi, from all the way from the little leagues to the high school to, to every division in college, whether it's junior college, D3, D2, D1, NAI. It's a sound baseball state, and uh, you know people support it. Uh, you know, not only do we do we have great players that are in-state players, but players from out of state want to come to our our programs and play because they recognize uh, everything that goes into to these programs and and nationally how they're recognized, the fan bases. You know, we talk all the time that uh, if you take uh, any state in the country and you take their biggest three baseball schools and add their attendance up, no state comes closer than the state of Mississippi with, with uh, ourselves, Ole Miss, and state when you take total attendance. Uh, I used to kind of look at that, and it was not even within 100,000 in the total attendance that we draw. And you're talking about a state that's less than 3 million people or right at 3 million people. So we're, you know, I'm very proud of, of the JUCO baseball, the, how they feed – the four-year schools, of course, I was a product of junior college as a player. I coached at Meridian Community College for 10 years, had a lot of fine players that sent a lot of a lot of those guys to, to bigger programs. And, and that's that's part of what the development is. You know, a lot of kids 
they they want to play Division One baseball or they want to play a four year school, but you know it might not be the right time for them. And junior college is such a great avenue for for those guys to go and and get experience under the belt and develop and and get their game to where it needs to be at at the upper level. Talking to Coach Scott Barry, the head coach at Southern Miss. Hey, now you're number thirteen for you as the head coach at Southern Miss. And you've got a guy that seems like he's been there just as long as you have, and that's Gabe Montenegro, batting in that leadoff spot, playing out in center field. <laughs> Talk about Gabe and how, how he's your table setter, graduate senior, coming back for another year. Man, he, like I said, baseball is a crazy sport, and we say it for different teams that it seems like guys have been there forever, but literally it seems like Gabe Montenegro has been with you for a long, long time. Well, you know, he told me the other day he's been here 25% of his life. <laughs> so that kind of puts it in perspective of, of how long Gabe's been here. But, you know, Gabe was a guy that uh, from from high school, he went to school in Tampa. He's from Guatemala, and that's where his family lives. But uh, but he went to high school in Tampa, and he registered here his first year. He was a little disappointed, but he, he really wanted to play. But, you know, we were really good in the outfield, and there wasn't any place for him to get in there to really uh, to uh, to validate giving him enough time to burn that year. And, and it took him a while to understand that and what red shirt is all about. But having done that and then plus the COVID year, you know, he's been here now. This is his sixth year. So he's also joined by his, his younger brother, Rodrigo Montenegro, who will be starting catcher tonight for us as well. He's a product of Western Oklahoma Junior College. Uh, but another fine uh, young man, and that uh, that carries that that Montenegro name well. But Gabe's been our leadoff man for five years, I guess, going on five years now, and has done a really good job. We've moved him to from left field to center field. He gets an excellent jump on the ball. You know, we call him textbook Gabe as far as defense goes. He's a really sound outfielder and and just loves the game of baseball and loves to practice it. You know, those those kids, that's that's all they do. I mean, uh, and they're very good students. Don't get me wrong there. But outside of school, you'll find them in the cages or you'll find them on the field playing baseball. Coach, one other guy I wanted to ask you about, Reese Ewing. I mean, that guy's off to a heck of a start for you. He really is. You know, Reese was a, a young man that played mostly right field for us last year. He's really uh, done well in the weight room. He's transformed his body into a much more athletic body, and we've moved him to left field. He's played outstanding out there. He's made some really, really nice catches for us uh, that, aren't, that aren't easy ones to make, that, that have really you know, taken back momentum from the other team in, in his defense. But offensively, he, he, I think that athleticism has loosened up his swing a little bit, and he seems to have, uh, have uh, as far as his swing goes, it's nice and loose you know, a lot better than it was last year. Last year he was fine. It was his first year in, in D1. But, you know, you can see how he's he's used last year as, as a way to, to make himself better this year. Hey, look forward to seeing you later tonight. Appreciate you taking some time to talk to us. Hey, proud for you, proud for your program and, and what you guys do. We definitely pull for you, and we'll pull for you the rest of the year. Well, always appreciate it. You guys do a great job, and I love listening to you when we're not playing. Scott Berry, head coach at Southern Miss. What good conversation with Scott. Look forward to seeing him later tonight down in Pearl as Mississippi State taking on Southern Miss. And once again, this conversation brought to you by our friends at Country 
Pleasing Sausage Country Meat Packers on Highway 49 in Florence, producing the best sausage known to man. It's Country Pleasing Sausage. So when we come back, we'll talk to Chris Burke of ESPN and the SEC Network. On the other side of the break, you're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field. It's time now for our guest line segment brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland producing the finest U.S. farm-raised catfish you can find right here in the state of Mississippi over in Itabina. And you can find that great Heartland catfish at many great grocery stores. Just look for the black and blue Heartland label. But more importantly, you can enjoy that great, fresh Heartland catfish at many fantastic restaurants in the southeast. And one of those locations is Warner's Fish House in Boca Lusa, Louisiana. Listen, I've had several of my South Mississippi friends say it's the best catfish they've ever had. And it's just across the state line in Bogalusa. And the way they batter the fried catfish fillets, or you can get the whole fish, it's second to none. It's definitely worth the trip to Warner's Fish House in Bogalusa, Louisiana. All right, so let's go to the phones. We go to former major leaguer, former SEC standout, Chris Burke, ESPN announcer. Chris, thanks for taking the time to talk a little college baseball with us. My pleasure, fellas. Always a pleasure to be with you guys. So, Chris, 2000, 2001, you sent Tennessee to the College World Series, and you were one of the first guys I really thought of as a power-hitting shortstop. Is that a fair label for you, or do you think of yourself as a just a good hitter who happened to get a few out now and then? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I would call myself a power hitter, even though that year I certainly was. I had a kind of a tradi- uh, consistent trend in my career in high school. You know, I hit a bunch of home runs my junior and senior year, but my sophomore year I kind of hit for a high average but not much power. And then got to college, hit for a high average my first two years, not much power. Uh, and then my junior year kind of put it all together. And then even my first couple of years in the minor leagues were the same deal. I kind of had to figure out how to feel comfortable, and then the power came. Unfortunately, I never really got there at the major league level. But that was a consistent trend with my career was I, it kind of got comfortable from an average standpoint, and then the power came. You know, Chris, I think about kids coming up in high school now, and we hear it's almost like it's reversed. It's like a lot of guys want to be power hitters first, and don't really care about their batting average. But you hit 20 home runs, but, you know, you're a 435 hitter. Do you think we're getting off at the young ages right now where guys aren't learning to just contact the baseball before they're worried about kind of getting launch angle and lift and all that? Well, I think it can be, yeah. You know, I don't want to paint all instructors with the same brush because I'm in that industry. So I, I know not everybody's teaching the same things, but, you know, I think first you got to be a good ball striker. You got to hit the ball well consistently on different types of pitches. And then, you know, there's a requisite level of strength required to be able to hit the ball over somebody's head and then eventually out of the ballpark. You know, I remember after my sophomore year, I'd hit a bunch of doubles that year, but only four home runs. And Coach Delmonico's like, hey, man, I, I think you got enough juice to get the ball out of the park more consistently, but you're going to have to um, work a little harder to get a better separation with your load not to get too technical, but I'd already proven that I was a good enough ball striker and he felt like I was strong enough. And so I took kind of that next step. And I think you make a good point, which is I think every hitter should be trying to hit line drives to the outfield. Like that should be a goal of every hitter at every age and not to be too new age on you, but like that is in the air. 
right? A line drive is in the air. So there's nothing wrong with trying to hit the ball in the air. The question is, what kind of trajectory do you want? And then how, are you practicing that kind of trajectory in your work? Is there a kind of contentment with the ball sailing high? And we know there's only a few players in the world that can regularly hit the ball high and have success. And that really does speak to different, a bunch of different levels. Whether you're 11 years old and you weigh 80 pounds and you're playing on a 220-foot fence or you're 20 years old and you weigh 165 pounds and you're playing on, playing on a big boy field, like you, you need to be the type of hitter that your strength level and your skill level matches. Chris, when you look around the SEC, last year you had a lot of front-line guys in the league from a pitching standpoint. But just this year, looking around the league, it seems like there's a big backup as far as lineups. Just a ton of power-hitting guys in the league. What are you seeing here early in the year, just by the first two weekends of the season? Has anything really jumped out at you that's kind of a big storyline? Yeah, I mean, I think the offense has carried the day. I, I, I certainly think, you know, Ole Miss is off to the kind of start offensively that we thought. LSU maybe first weekend was, was just playing slow-pitch softball, maybe not quite as explosive the second weekend, even though uh, they were pretty stinking good. Tennessee certainly posted some eye-popping numbers. We'll see. The competition gets a lot stiffer for them this weekend. But, yeah, I mean, I think maybe Mississippi State hasn't been quite as offensive. I don't know what you guys expected from them, but maybe not quite as offensive as I thought. But I, I definitely think the offenses have carried the day. But, you know, I thought it was good to see Landon Sims get off to such a great start. You know, maybe not as good this week, but certainly week one, he was fantastic. Hunter Barco has been as good as advertised. Jonathan Cannon has pitched very well for from Georgia, which everybody kind of thought. And so, you know, I, I do think the arms that we thought were going to be good uh, has pitched well. And I think Blake Money has definitely turned some heads with LSU with the way he started in his first couple times. We've talked a little bit about the, the moves that people can make now, the free transfers and that type thing. When you start talking about offensive baseball, it's hard to ignore what LSU has put together in that lineup, at least potentially, because you take a bunch of good hitters and you add Jacob Berry to it. That seems like a dangerous lineup if they can find that front-line pitching. Yeah, there is, there's no doubt it's a dangerous lineup. I mean, you know, there, you talk about some guys that can move the ball too. Trey Morgan obviously is as tough a, of an out as there is in the league. And then you got to deal kind of with the – you know, the murderer's row there with Cruz and Barry and Dugas, how, you know, Doty, however they want to line those guys up. It's definitely a, a tall task for a pitcher to be able to get through that order a few times. I mean, I think, you know, you're going to have to slug with LSU. But I also think LSU is going to have to slug because, as you said, you know, Blake Money seems to have established himself as a guy. But where do they go after that? I don't think they've been tested from an opponent standpoint enough for us to really know any of their arms, how they're going to stack up. I mean, we've certainly seen Mikhail Hilliard uh, throughout the course of the last few years, and we know he, you know he's a, uh, a competitive SEC pitcher. But definitely a lot of question marks still with the, the LSU pitching. And, and not the fun part about it, seeing those questions answered, and especially as we get here closer to conference play. All right, so here's what I really want to know. You're a Tennessee guy, and I my phone blows up. Ben Joyce. 103 miles an hour, uh, even if the gun is juiced up there, <laughs> that seems like a lot of velocity. <laughs> uh, who, who was leading on the radar gun up there? Well, I tell you, I don't know if you – there was actually a picture. So uh, Vitello had an interview the next day where he said that they're actually – their internal gun 
had him at 104.1, <laughs> but the, the stadium gun was 103. They told me that this went, so I went down and, and uh, interviewed Phil Garner for their leadoff banquet, and they told me in fe- early February that this kid was throwing 103 miles an hour. And I said that he was throwing 100 because I felt silly saying that Tennessee had some kid throwing 103. But now he's actually done it. And, you know, people, obviously, Rob Friedman, the pitching ninja, has been all over it. I guess we'll see when he goes down to Starkville if your all's gun reads the same. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they, they got this kid, Chase Burns, that's pitching on Friday night that's been up to 99. And uh, Doolander, their number two starter, has been up to 98. And then this Ben Joyce kid's throwing 100-plus. So, and, you know, they're missing Blade Tidwell and, and Seth Halverson. So it, it's it's been pretty impressive the way Tony Vitello, similar to the way Chris Limonis was able to do, has recruited a, a lot of guys with high-end velo. Talking to Chris Burke with ESPN. Chris, you were a hitter, and, and you work with hitters every day now. And we start talking about these crazy numbers that you see guys throw every day. And what are your thoughts on, in today's world, high RPM, Say a guy's throwing 95, and you get used to 95, 95, 95. And then all of a sudden you see a guy comes out there and he's throwing 87. As you help hitters, timing is such a big issue. How do you get guys to kind of dial it back? Is it just see ball, hit ball, or what do you do with your timing when a guy, you can tell he's up there more comfortable facing 94 than he is 88? Well, it's, you know, it's an interesting question. I, I think hitters are seeing – Plus velocity, of course, I guess you could ask what, how do you define plus velocity? I guess in today's world, that is 95 plus. But hitters are seeing harder throwers more consistently at earlier ages, right? These guys that are on the high end of the travel ball circuit are seeing guys throwing 90 miles an hour quite a bit. And then, you know, even guys in the mid-90s with, with some of these big-time high-prospect teams. So they see that earlier. And I'll tell you this, I, the high school hitters I work with, always complain more about guys who throw slower than they do throw harder. Now, I tell guys all the time, if, if it was so hard to hit guys that throw slow, how come there's not a bunch of soft tossers in the big leagues, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you, if, if you know what you're doing, a soft tosser should be easier than a guy who throws with elite velocity. Now, some guys have a hard time controlling their heartbeat. Some guys have a hard time with uh, pitch recognition and depth perception. So some of that stuff, it comes into play more when a guy's pulling the string on you than when he's just throwing a consistent velocity over and over again. And so that comes into the, to the equation of do do you think that there's still room for the soft tosser? And I, and I would say yes, because at the end of the day, pitching is still about changing locations and changing a batter's eye and being able to add and subtract. And so there's still a place for the guy who doesn't throw gas. Uh, but certainly the guy that does make you make early decisions and speed up your timing presents a lot of problems, and that's why they're so highly coveted. Uh, but I, I do think it's important for hitters to work on the ball moving at, at different speeds because ultimately, especially high school hitters, but even in the college game, like if you're Mississippi State, you know, the pitching staff in Northern Kentucky is going to be much different than the pitching staff for Tennessee. And so, you, you know, to be a good hitter, you got to be able to be competitive against both types of staffs. Chris, one more question before we let you go. The thing about playing this game, and if you play it long enough, we've all gone through slumps, and we all try to get out of slumps. And it seems like in the game of baseball, the more you try, the deeper hole you dig. 
what did you ever do if if you were going through a bad time at the plate and you were just trying to get out and get something going? Was there something small that you did just to kind of get your eye back on the ball and get going again? Well, I think it's always important to diagnose what's the problem. So, am I swinging at strikes? Am I taking balls? The strikes that I'm swinging at, how well am I contacting? Right. So it's you know first you got to go through your diagnostics of like what's the issue, right? So for me, most of the time I was struggling. It was I'm not swinging at strikes issue. Um, and so, you know, I was maybe being too passive early in the count and then expanding the zone late in the count, and you're just not going to hit under those conditions, right? Now, if you're missing good pitches to hit, then that becomes more of a mechanical swing conversation, and that's a little bit of a different thing. So I think that's the, the big deal for hitters is to figure out, you know, I think hitters are really bad at figuring out why they're struggling traditionally and so many times we go to this anecdotal thing of you know we end up with uh, if I raise my hands or open my stance or change the grip on my bat and it's like well is that really the the root of the issue here or is it that you keep swinging at balls in the dirt or pitches over your head or or whatever so you know I think that's step one and then step two man is you got to have a routine that you believe in and you know will give you that confidence whether that's watching some highlights of of previous successes or getting back to some drills and some uh, things in the cage that you know get you back to believing that when you do get a good pitch to hit, you're going to barrel it up. Uh, so those those are normally the kind of the series of events that hitters go through to try to get back on track. And then like with anything, man, you you got to have a coach that believes in you and keeps putting you in the lineup because, you know, that's the hard part for a lot of hitters is they, they fight that anxiety that if they don't do it, they're going to get pulled out of the lineup. And usually that's a self-fulfilling prophecy because you end up putting so much pressure on yourself and then eventually the coach has to make a change. So that's what's hard about this sport, man. It, it can it can beat you up between the ears. Chris, hey, appreciate you joining us and I look forward to seeing you guys down the road in just a few weeks. Yeah, man, always, uh, always a pleasure. I got my first game Sunday, Florida and Miami, so looking forward to it. Awesome. You'll have good weather. And that's Chris Burke with ESPN and the SEC Network. Great conversation with Chris right there. Once again, this conversation brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland producing the best farm-raised catfish you can find right here in the state of Mississippi. And once again, go by and see our friends at Warner's Fish House in Bogalusa, Louisiana. They do it right down at Warner's in Bogalusa. Catfish fillets, they're fried they're broiled, or you can get the whole fish. It's definitely worth the trip to Warner's Fish House in Bogalusa, Louisiana. Charlie and I will come back, and we'll have a final word right here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown Startville. Startville, Mississippi's college town, of course, make your home here in Startville and make your way back home here in Startville. So many great events going on throughout the spring here in Startville. Charlie, there's a lot of great things associated with the university, downtown, whether it be the restaurants, whether it be the shopping. You've got the Ulysses S. Grant Museum on campus. Just so many great things. You'll have baseball tournaments throughout the spring. A lot of you folks out there in the travel ball world will be coming into Startville. Hey, that new ballpark, Cornerstone Park, is going to be up and running late in the summer, and that will be a great addition to this town. And so Startville, Mississippi's college town, check them out at startville.org. 
if you're looking for any events, if you're looking for a place to stay, if you're looking for recommendations for restaurants, great restaurants here in Starkville. All right, Charlie, after looking back at both of those conversations with Scott Berry and then with Chris Burke, hey, two really good guys right there, two guys that understand the game of baseball. I thought Chris Burke brought up some good points about trying to come out of a slump right there. And so, hey, tonight, later, we got a big one against Southern Miss, big weekend upcoming down in New Orleans against Tulane, then over in Biloxi on Tuesday, Wednesday against Texas Tech. What's in front of us? And I know we'll get into it on our Tracks Plus Deep Dig tomorrow. But like you said early in the show, the next 10 days are really, really big for 2022 Mississippi State baseball. No, they certainly are. And, look, let's just be honest. We kind of we got a bogey. No, we don't have a bogey on the round right now. We got a triple bogey losing the ball game this past weekend. We need to go on the road and play well. We need to go down to Biloxi and play well. we got to stack some quality wins, and we're going to have a chance to do that. Look, Southern Miss is going to be a regional team, so that's a, a team you would like to get a win against. It's going to be a good RPI game. I tell you, one of the reasons it's going to be a good RPI game, Southern Miss built their schedule for their RPI. Oh, you yeah. Go, this early schedule they're playing – is a really good schedule. If you're a baseball fan, there's a lot of good baseball to go watch. Yeah, about to jump into Louisiana next weekend, Dallas Baptist. All right, later tonight, what are you wanting to see out of Jackson Fristo? Strikes. Look, Jackson Fristo's stuff is plenty good. What you want to see him just compete in the zone, don't beat himself. And I have not at all. Look, Jackson Fristo is still a guy who's got a chance to push himself into the weekend rotation again. He was there for a lot of the time last year. But the way he's going to do that is he's got to go out and compete well in ball games like this. Look, you go out and have a really good performance against USM tonight, there's no reason you can't be cracking the, the weekend rotation because that's a really good team. It's going to be a good lineup. Now, last year we struck them out, as Scott Berry alluded to, you know, right at 20 times. And so that ballpark, I don't know about if it's the lights. It just kind of feels a little bit weird late at night. Looking back at last night, one thing we haven't talked about, and we talk about Jackson Fristo tonight, but we only used two pitchers in that game last night against Grambling. When in years before, we've kind of rolled guys out and got two innings out of a start, and then all of a sudden you've got eight more guys coming through or seven more guys coming through and just rotating through and getting mound work on a Tuesday. We used two last night. Jack Walker went five. Parker Stinnett went four. And so you kind of feel like, even though I know you've got a big weekend upcoming with Tulane, and you heard Scott Berry talk about it a moment ago. You play what's in front of you, and he's going to play to win, and I think we're going to play to win tonight. And so you do have a bullpen full of folks ready to roll tonight and going into the weekend. Yeah, now last year in this ball game, Houston Harding was the big story. So you asked me about Jackson Fristo. You know, Houston Harding kind of made his case starting with that Southern Miss game, didn't you think? And it's amazing when you look back at this game about guys who have made their case, okay? When you start thinking about performances against Southern Miss. Preston Johnson last year. Preston Johnson last year. Six strikeouts and two innings. Jacob Billingsley. I mean, you can go back even further to Luis Polyurena in this style of game. Remember the year, I think it was 2012, Luis Polyurena goes down there and shuts down Southern Miss and Pearl, and then we play Southern Miss at Georgia Tech. And so what's the first thing we do? We name Luis the starting pitcher, and he goes back over there against them the second time and really perform well. I just think getting ahead, and you said strikes is going to be a big key. I think early strikes and – 
being able to locate your secondary pitch, that's going to be so big for Jackson Fristo because what got him in trouble last year at times, it was locating fastball and getting ahead and just couldn't put it away with a breaking ball because he couldn't find the release point. I think finding the release point with secondary pitch tonight against Southern Miss is going to be massive. I think that's important. The other thing I think is just hugely important for Mississippi State to get something going early. This team is in their heads a little bit right now. I feel like it's almost you say, what's one of the advantages that Downs has? He hadn't been out there, so it's kind of a kind of a fresh new guy, and he's hitting the ball well. Some of these guys, it just feels like they need a restart. Yeah, and I tell you what, too, when we were talking to Scott Berry a little bit ago, and let me tell you, I like that guy a lot. Scott's a good friend. He's a good guy. He's a good baseball coach. He's a very good person. And I am for Southern Miss to win in baseball, except when we're playing Southern Miss. And when he said Tanner Hall, oh, he's a guy he's a sinker ball, ground ball guy. I'm sitting there going, Man, that ain't what does that sound like? Uh Luis Ramirez. And so hey, that's the thing to look for tonight is is how do you attack a guy that has some sink and throws ground balls. And hey, here's the thing about that infield too. So last he talked about kicking the ball around a little bit against South Alabama and making some errors. The thing I remember about Trustmark Park is that's a pretty hard infield. And so the, if they there start – six errors combined in that game last year. Hey – They the, had four a week committed too. Last week against South Alabama, they had five errors. And so if you can get some hard-hit balls on the ground, sometimes, I mean, at a minor league ballpark, you can – I mean, it'll get on you in a hurry. And so – could you see some errors in that game? I, I don't know. So, anyway, hey, that's later tonight. Once again, thanks to our great sponsors. Thanks to our good friends at Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. Once again, Heartland Catfish. Heartland, producing the finest U.S. farm-raised catfish you can find anywhere. And once again, you can find that great catfish at Warner's Fish House in Bogalusa, Louisiana. Our good friends at Country Meat Packers and Country Pleasing Sausage, they're one of the sponsors for this game tonight, Mississippi State and Southern Miss. Our good friends at Startwell.org, Mississippi's college town. And once again, our good friends at Bank First. Bank First, a better way to bank. So for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.